What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Peyton Collier Podcast. My next guest is an artist who has spent her life and career preserving the sounds of Western swing, honky-tonk barroom shuffles, and bluegrass music. Her new record, Ain't Through Honky Tonkin' Yet, is available now on all streaming platforms. She's somebody that I've looked up to for a while, and I really admire the fact that she has evaded the path of success through the mainstream and has instead shared the songs in her heart with the world and 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 continued to preserve the sounds of traditional country music that so many people uh, love and still want to hear in the modern day. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Brennan Lee. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Here we are, everybody. Brennan Lee is with us in the studio today. Brennan, how are you doing? I'm so glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to have you here. Um, you just, you said you're a little jet lagged. You just got back from Norway. How was Norway? Norway is a wonderful place to play music, and it's a warm, generous country full of color and great food and great people. I really love Norway. I love to hear that. I think it's so awesome, too, that you have developed a, a fan base and a, a community over there of people that want to hear good old fashioned country music. Thank you. Um, well, they're, you know, the Norwegians are an easy sell for that kind of thing because country music has been popular over there. I think as long as country music's existed, um, I, a number of years ago had a opportunity to play over there with the great Bobby bear. And I found out that he had gone over in the sixties on tour with Jim Reeves and um, the Anita Kerr singers and uh, Chet Atkins and been on Norwegian national television. And ever since that time, he's been a superstar in Norway. So really uh, classic country is beloved of Norway. Yes. God bless his, uh, his, his songwriting. Yeah. The wonderful Bobby. Um, I'm very excited to have you on because I'm a, I'm a big fan of you as a musician, but most importantly, when I have artists on the show, um, you know, there are many different courses that a person can take in in the music industry um these days and i think it's very uh it's a lot easier to adhere to the mainstream and what the average person wants to hear and i so deeply admire your musicianship the music the songs that you write uh but that you have taken a totally individual artistic and unique approach to preserving something that people like me and a lot of people still really care about so i admire you i'm i'm stoked that you're here and i'm I'm happy to get in the weeds about it. Well, thank you. And and likewise. We can just dive right into you played the Grand Ole Opry and you did it the right way. You know, you didn't you didn't go through the radio charts. And I, I think you should be very proud of that. How was that for you? Thank you. It couldn't have gone better. They are the most hospitable professional people I've played for. Um yeah, it was it, it dawned on me a, a little shortly after being asked to do it that it was kind of notable that we didn't do it from radio charts. We did it because, you know, we play country music and eventually, you know, if, if you're lucky and if you work hard and if you do good work, they will ask you. Was that like a goal of yours for the longest time where you're like, I want to play the Opry, but if ever I do, I want to do it the right way. I want to do it my way. Um, of course I'd hoped I would play the Opry as a little kid. I entertained myself by listening to cassette tapes of old Opry performances, people like Hank Williams and Minnie Pearl. So I was aware of it from a really young age and it seemed like, yeah, a really high marker of that you were headed in the right direction. Um, and of course there are people that play the Opry because they're on a label and it's, it was the next logical step in their career. Um, but it may not have the same emotional historical significance for everyone that it does for someone like me. Um, I was thinking about the Leuven brothers and Kitty Wells and Roy Acuff when I stepped in the circle. So uh, I feel very blessed. You just had a new album come out that is so good. Um, ain't through honky tonkin yet. My favorite song on it is the bar should say thanks. Thank you. Um, which has one of the most seamless key changes that has happened <laughs> in probably 50 years, probably since he stopped loving her today. And then the bar should say thanks. Um, but uh, so that is that, is that sentiment more of being like a performer in the bar or a, a patron of the bar. So one of my favorite tools in, in, you know, attributes of country songwriting is this idea of the audience knows what's going on, but the singer doesn't dramatic irony. Yeah. So it's almost, um, the, the singer of that song is in 
the throes of what I call alcoholic denial. They <laughs> believe that it's everyone else's fault. So they're getting kicked out of this bar at the beginning of the song and they feel personally offended. How dare you kick me out? Everything I've done for you. Um, and I've been and seen this person a million times. Someone who believes that their presence, their drunken presence is a, um, <laughs> is a, you know, God's gift to the honky tonk and the bartender and every, and the band, you know, someone in there just being annoying. And so I, I liked this character sketch of this person who thought, you know, how dare you, you owe me. And my, I wrote this with my brother, his name's Seth Halbert. And we had heard a friend of our parents say the funniest thing, um, just unrelated in passing had said the bar should thank me. And we both went, that's such a funny idea. So the bar should say thanks. Yeah. I love that. The character sketch too. Do you, is that something that you, you do a lot in your, your writing style? Yeah. I like what you said. Um, what'd you call it? Something irony. Well that, yeah, that's actually the literary term for in a novel when the audience or the reader knows something that the characters don't, it's called dramatic irony, dramatic irony. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in, um, Ethan Frome, there, if you will, you know, it's in all kinds of literature that I like now that you mention it. Um, I didn't know that was a name for it, but you know, it's in, um, she thinks I still care. Yeah. Has that it's, it's, and, and you know, on some level, the, the singer of the song probably does kind of acknowledge this elephant in the room of like, wow, I'm a mess, but mm. I'm just going to keep going with this until I hit bottom. And that, that to me is some of my favorite country songwriting. And you also have a song on there called Running Out of Hope, Arkansas. Um, thank you for shouting out the home state. Anything we can do to stay on the map, uh, we will. So I, I want to hear about that song specifically, too. Um, and if, if, it, if, if it actually came from being in or running to or from Hope, Arkansas. We released that song and got a bunch of emails from Hope, Arkansas. And we got written up in the paper in Hope, Arkansas. Home of Bill Clinton. Yes, home of former President Bill Clinton, people wanted to know, what is your connection to Hope, Arkansas? And unfortunately, I had to tell them, zero. I used to live in Austin, Texas, and so I drove many times from Austin to Dallas to Little Rock, or to Texarkana to Little Rock <laughs> to Memphis to, to, to Nashville. And I always saw that turnoff for Hope, Arkansas, occasionally stopped there for gas. Well, it ended up being a song about being stuck. It's not doesn't have to even specifically be about Hope, Arkansas, but you know the town had the nerve to name itself that. We figured we could pick on it a little bit, uh, and so my friend Silas Lowe and I wrote a tune about being stuck, being a convenience store clerk, and seeing other people traveling and having to just watch them drive away. Dang, it's so sad when you put it that way. <laughs> so it sounds like the town of Hope warmly embraced the song. No one got too mad at me that I'm that I'm aware yeah. of. I'm they actually I even had an offer from the paper um to come like they would show me hope, you know, and that it's not a dead end. And I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe it's probably thriving. Yeah. Uh, but we we picked on it a little bit and I I beg their forgiveness. I, I think you're safe with anybody uh or any territory in Arkansas. Like anything that, that gets a shout out, people are gonna go crazy for. I, like you I wouldn't be surprised if you get a million streams on that song within a year because of people in Hope, Arkansas. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm from, um, originally I was born in Fargo, North Dakota. And, oh yeah. Yes. And uh, go. that's, that's where I'm from. I was born there. My whole family still lives in the area and we definitely got excited the one time we were ever on national news, which was, you know, for the wood chipper. Well, that was the, the, of course the television show in the movie. Yeah. And then, um, when we have like epic biblical level floods. Oh, look, we're on TV finally. So yeah, being from a place that most people couldn't point to on a map, it's kind of nice to be recognized. Is it just somewhere where like all the rain trickles down into a, into a puddle town? <laughs> There's the, the red river of the North flows between Fargo and my hometown, which is a town called Moorhead, Minnesota. And when the snow melts sometimes in the spring, it floods and it floods bad. So, uh, but I haven't lived there since uh, I was 19 years old. That's why you can't place my accent. Yeah. So you, um, could you place mine? Yours is, uh, I didn't, it didn't register. So it must be not too far from mine. Somebody that moved around. 
Yeah, I I always think I have a weird theory. I think you choose your accent. I think it is like growing up in whatever culture or community you were in, people latch onto a certain way of speaking for acceptance. It's just a theory. There's it's no, code switching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are people, you know, I grew up in Cabot, Arkansas, and I lived there for the first 20 years of my life. And everybody I went to high school, we had talked like this and, you know, spitting some dip into a cup. But uh, but I think I watched a lot of movies and, you know, was doing a lot of accents and impressions and stuff growing up. And I think I was like, I think I just want to say the word, how it appears to be spelled. Phonetically. And, yeah, phonetically. Well, proper. We, we, we always thought growing up in Minnesota that we... We, we pronounce things exactly like they are written, but, and we kind of did, but we also rounded all our O's like that, you know, oh, yeah. so, uh, you know, that's gone now, but it's not intentional. I think, I think my accent is Texas because yeah. I live, I live there so long. You, you got people back home like, oh, Brennan, yeah, how, how's the music going down there in Nashville? Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I've asked my, even my mom and stuff like, Hey, um, do, do you think I have an accent? And she doesn't hear it anymore. So she, my mom doesn't hear my accent. So you, you said you were 19 when you moved um, from Minnesota to, to Austin, Austin, Texas. Yeah. And why, why did you decide then that that was the place that you wanted to pursue? Well, I was already a working musician. I had been since my early teens. Um, and my brother and I played together. We were both fascinated with Western swing music bands like asleep at the wheel and uh, Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. And we just thought that that uh -huh. whole, yeah, that whole thing was so cool. And um, so we visited Nashville. I applied to Belmont. They wouldn't give me a scholarship. Uh, my mom you, wanted- You didn't have enough of an accent. I didn't, I guess I wasn't good enough at music. <laughs> yeah. But no, that, I mean, that was fine. They, I think they would have accepted me, but I ended up doing a year of college in, in San Marcos, Texas. And then quitting because I was too, I was working too much. I was playing too much. So I ended up in Austin for 15 years, uh, maybe a little, little too long to stay. I, I think I had intended to come here a little sooner, um, but I got so much from being in Texas and I still go back all the time and play and I work with Texans. So you really think that's where you cut your teeth and, and, and made, or at least went from a working musician to... Brennan Lee is an artist. Yeah. Um, I definitely would have classified myself as a working musician in Austin because you probably know Austin is, it's not really a, a music business town like we are mm -hmm. in Nashville. It's a live music town. So you could play, you know, three gigs a day if you want there. It's, it's a very, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's, you can definitely work yourself, you know, silly mm -hmm. um and, and pro I, probably without as much financial reward i was well. doing there you know and that's that's jury's out because i have friends who say oh I, we moved back to to austin and we make more money um but i had an issue um with um well and i say this with all the love in my heart for texas um it's harder for women to succeed there i've never heard that before you haven't I've heard that it's harder for women to succeed. It is in places, <laughs> in places, in places, in general. Um, yeah, but I didn't know that um, that it was a more difficult road in Texas. And I, I have my people back there that have championed me from the time I was, you know, since before I even deserved it. You know, I have my people in Texas that booked me regardless. Um, but it became, you know, it became a thread in my life that, you know, I would just look at any festival lineup or any Texas music chart and, and that the proof is just in the pudding. All dudes. It's very dude heavy. So I, and I'm not saying that Nashville is less sexist because we obviously have an issue with that here too, but I think, and I've thought about this way too much, but I think that maybe the only difference is that in Nashville, we understand that women actually are marketable. And I don't know if they've really, if they've chosen to accept that in, in Texas. How, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for saying it, but I did live there a, a really long time and I did run into my share of venues that would say, um, we already have a female on the lineup for this festival. So um, we can't book you this time or women don't really do very well on weekends here. But if you want to do us a, a Wednesday, 
you can, that sort of thing. That's so weird. It's weird. Kind of eerie. Uh, it's weird, but you know, some of the most awesome people are there. Um, some of the most awesome events are there and, you know, specific, like my management is there. Um, and I work a lot with asleep at the wheel. Um, they've, they've done a lot for me just as a band and just by association. So I can't really complain. I've, I've had it pretty good compared to a lot. How did you get introduced to Western swing in Minnesota? My parents were country music fans. Thank God. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, actually, a lot of people in that part of the country are because it's farmy mm-hmm. AF. You yeah. know, it's very farmy up there. Everybody's, uh, at least my generation, um, our parents were at least kids of farmers. And so they, yeah, a lot of them listen to country, traditional country, whatever. And my dad and my mom loved to have little picking parties. And my parents had some a record collection. And one of the records in there was this record called Fathers and Sons. And it was a double album that Ray Benson and Asleep at the Wheel made, um, where one one disc was Asleep at the Wheel, and one disc was Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. And it was kind of the wheels attempt to expose some people to um, Bob Wills. Mm-hmm. So we learned, my brother and I learned every song on the on the album. Oh, probably a good time to say we do have a second guest on the podcast today. I brought my dog. Bjorn uh, is here with us. Bjorn's here and he's of course refusing to talk, but he thought is he'd make a little noise. That named after the bear. Um he is just in, he's just named after uh it's a it's a Norwegian name. It actually means the bear. I got it. In my I was thinking in my I had to pull I had to dig through the literary mind. Bjorn is a shape-shifting bear in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. That sounds right. No yeah. one has ever made that um, comparison with him, though. They always think he's named after um, the tennis, gods. tennis player, Bjorn something. Or he's named after a baby Bjorn, which is like, you know, those things you carry babies in. Oh. Um, it's like a Swedish like baby carrier. Thing. I was thinking of a stork. Carrying one in a bag, like yeah. an old cartoon. Or that, that's because I was thinking you could get him a sister and name her Bjork. Or Bjork. People think yeah. Bjork. They always say, "Well, is she? What kind of dog is she?" And they they heard me say Bjork, even though it was Bjorn. Mm-hmm. But Bjork is Icelandic, and Bjorn is Norwegian. Well, I'm I'm stoked to have him here. He's been super well behaved. Um. Oh, so asleep at the wheel. So for, well, I didn't. So even me growing up in Arkansas, which is. I only heard country music like until about the time I was 10 when my dad thought it was time to introduce me to white snake. Um, but <laughs> are you, is he helping pay for your therapy? <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love it all, but I did not discover Western swing until probably three years ago or so where I, where I really started digging in it and appreciate it. And, and really what was my gateway was Haggard's, tribute to the best damn fiddle player in the world. Oh, album. that's a great record. Yeah. And he's, he's so good at singing, uh, those Western swing tunes. And I think there's like 10 of them on there. And he's got um, like tiny Moore and Eldon Shamlin on there. Yeah. Right. Oh, and so who were in Bob Wills band mm-hmm. for those that are not big geeks well, for that. He did that classic, um, he, where it was the, tri- or not the tribute show or whatever, but it was like an award show or something. And hag had, they had all the playboys out there. And Hag introduced him all. He's like, you know what made Bob Will special was uh, he liked to announce uh, everyone after they'd, they'd say their names. And and I remember just getting into it and learning about it. I thought um, there's such a spirit of li- joy, joyful liveliness and uh, camaraderie and fun in Western Swing. You kind of took the words out of my mouth when you said joyful, because that to me is the essence of Western Swing. It's fun music. Um, and it's, you know, it's rightfully called a lot of times hillbilly jazz. It's very much swing music, but it's Western. It's cowboy. It's got the steel guitar and the fiddle. It's Mm -hmm. got those fiddle tunes. It's got the square dance influence in it. And yet it's sophisticated and, uh, moody. And, uh, I just, I heard Tommy Duncan sing. And I think honestly, I loved everything about it. I loved the steel guitar playing. Um, I love Bob Wills yelling. Mm-hmm. It's just totally, it's like listening to something from outer space. But then I heard Tommy Duncan, mm-hmm. you know, travel in my blue, you know, with, the, with those, uh, but I won't be blue always, you know, that lazy kind of, 
little sleepy way that he sang. It was just so yeah. controlled. And I went, ah, who is this guy? Almost like uh like Bing Crosby esque or like that, that era of yeah. people. Sa- just, some of the same licks, you know. Yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. I, I they you clearly have a you know the ear for singing because that's the same thing I hear is when I hear Dean Martin now, and this is how backwards I am. And like you, I was only aware of country music to a certain age. Mm-hmm. I'll hear Dean Martin and go, Oh, that's a Tommy Duncan lick. Oh, wait a second. It might be the other way around. Yeah. But it's just, it's such rich, beautiful, happy music. Well, clearly you have a deep level of infatuation uh, with Tommy Duncan. So much as to write a song called if Tommy Duncan's voice was booze with the tagline, I'd be drunk all the time. I'd stay drunk I'd all stay the time. I'd stay drunk all the time. Yeah, I wrote that with Paul Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Paul Kramer. And uh, we were just talking about how his voice, you know, just made us feel. It was just, it's just so, it's intoxicating. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful singer. What a, what a masterful interpreter of songs. Did you know, like, by the time you moved to Texas that you really wanted to pursue something akin to the sound of Western Swing? I mean, I liked it, but I had my foot in a couple of different places, of course, at that um, at that age. Because I, I mean, I grew up I grew up playing mandolin, so I, I loved bluegrass. Um, I loved the Leuven Brothers and Hank Williams and things like that. So I kind of had I liked the Western country music and I liked the East Eastern country music. Mm-hmm. I liked both, um, but Texas seemed just a, like a special kind of free place where you could kind of play whatever kind of wild mix of that you wanted to. And I did, um, I played, you know, the, the classic kind of five piece shuffle stuff. And I played, uh, in bluegrass bands there. And I played a lot of gospel when I was there too, country gospel. So how'd you get linked up with the sleep at the wheel by the time you got there, which are pretty much the champions of allowing Western swing to survive this long, I think. Right. They've definitely played a hand in that. Um, Ray and the band are in their, I think, 53rd year now. That's unbelievable. That he's been doing it for 50 plus years. He's such a presence, yeah. too. It seems like you two have a very special friendship. I love Ray. Um, he's done as much or more for me than, you know, almost anybody I can name. And, uh, you know, the, the guy just stays young because he continuously is in discovery mode. He's... Finding new things he likes. Uh, that's really interesting uh, that you said that he just, he finds ways to stay young. Did you ever see the 2018 film, The Mule? No. Um, it's it was one of Clint's m- last movies that he did. Um, but Toby Keith wrote one of my favorite songs that he's ever done, which I know you probably have some mixed feelings about Toby Keith. A lot of people do. But in that film, Clint is obviously old as hell. He's like 91. And uh, Toby Keith, at the very end of the movie, there's a song that he wrote that's just acoustic, stripped down. None of the hey thing he likes to do. Um, <laughs> you know, How do you lock me now? Um, oh, man. But uh, anyway, but there's a song that plays at the very end of the film. It's called Don't Let the Old Man In. And um, it's very somber and dark. And, and he wrote it. And he wrote it. And he, he said... He asked Clint Eastwood, they were golfing. And what a was, great title. Yeah. And he said, he said, man, he said, uh, Clint, said, how do you find ways to stay young? He said, well, Toby, I wake up every day and choose. I don't let the old man in. Oh, that's yeah. so good. I think you'd like the song, too, because it's so different than the the popular mainstream approach of, say, a red solo cup. Um, but I just thought that was a brilliant title. And you saying that about Ray to tie all that in made me think, um, uh, kind of, a, I think there's very unique p- people, you know, many artists that we look up to Bob Wills, especially included, yeah. um, that just found ways to stay young. And even though they were burdened by the difficulties and the things that plague you in life, in the life of an artist, um, they kept that joy alive in their music in their art. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think, a lot of what you're describing is people who, and I have a special affection for people who just know who they are. And, uh, hey, buddy. hey buddy, sorry. It's okay. Yeah, you were all saying he was so well behaved, but he's probably getting a little antsy or something now. Nah, I think he's like, he'll be all right. Uh, people, you know, 
people who know who they are. Um, I have a just a soft spot for them because somebody like Bob Wills, do you think, you know, this eccentric West Texas, you know, guy that, you know, there's just so much about him that could have been seen as bizarre. And yet he just stayed who he was. And the same thing with Ray. He's always known, I'm going to play Western swing music. And, and it was in an era where people were not playing Western swing music. And it was just, I think knowing who you are is like the ultimate, that is the ultimate um, quality that can give you longevity. Um, because if it, at some, at certain points in your career, being who you are and doing what you do is not going to be the cool thing. But <laughs> if you change what you're doing, um, you're not giving it a chance to come back around and for people to, to discover who you are. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, it, it makes sense. I was going to say the staying true to who you are thing, which is such a, uh, uh, it's something that I, I've struggled with in, in artistic pursuits. Um, and I think it's such a difficult thing to really pin down in the modern day with all the distractions and everybody, all of us who people who love Western swing are glued to their iPhones, you know, still it's so difficult to, to hone in on who you actually are as a person with all these distractions, I think, which is another reason why I think it's so impressive that you have persevered down the course that you have in in a in a world that is so focused on distraction if that makes sense well yeah it's been and that it's difficult <laughs> because you know anyone who is going for it in a music business sense you know an artist trying to trying to you know improve their situation um we all know what an insidious and necessary evil i'm glad you looked at the camera for that social media is uh because it we've all had to adapt to it and it's it's been it's been tough on us because um you know i'm i'm putting out records and you know when i when i release an album now it's so funny because five years ago even this wasn't a thing but now it's like i'll get a message from my my manager saying hey um such and such publication wants uh, you to give them um, a few words about these three songs, you know, that they're releasing on video or something. And I'm like, but, but I wrote the songs, you know, so you're putting all this intellectual and creative energy into content. Like, okay, what photo am I going to use? Like you're, you're putting all this energy into content surrounding your release. And if you're not careful, you're not creating what you're really supposed to be. You're not, there's not going to be anything left. It's so meta, you know, it's got even <laughs> kind of, or even this, you know, the, the, the format of an interview, of course, I try to, I try to make this more of a conversation between two musicians, uh, rather than and just it is. an it is. interview format. Um, but back in the day, uh, you'd, you'd get, you know, a couple lines in the newspaper, maybe make a headline. If you were extremely famous, you might make it on to Johnny Carson or, or, you know, David Letterman or something. And now the format is real raw, long form conversations in, in a podcast setting. That's how people really get to know artists that they admire. If that is what it is, if that's the way we're going, like if people want to consume what I have to say, in another form besides songs, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's okay. Uh, the, the, the main thing is, can I keep making a living? So if, if, if something like me sitting down and getting to talk to my friend on a podcast mm -hmm. is going to help people get to know me and, um, you know, in a sense, I take some solace in it because there was a time when I feel like I didn't have control of what went out about me, you know. When was that? Like the early uh, the 2000s? Early, early days of the internet being really instrumental in a musician's career, there would be people that would show up to a show, bless their hearts and tape 10 songs on a, on a cheap cell phone or something, and then put them all on YouTube. And the fans didn't know I wasn't putting that stuff up, you know, and if a festival promoter wanted to book me and they Googled Brennan Lee on YouTube, they would find some noisy, you know, what if I was not having the best night? You just didn't have a lot of control over what went out. And now we have this technology where you can put out the pictures you want. You can put out your own videos. It just takes some discipline and it can be very stressful and there's a lot of pressure, but 
now I'm more at peace with the version of me that is in public because, hey, at least I had some hand in being, being responsible for it. Yeah. But I, but I think too, just kind of tying back into that, you know, being true to who you are. Um, I think about somebody like Elvis or, or, uh, Willie Nelson, uh, is probably the perfect example of what the first 20 years of his career looked like. And before he moved to Austin and then how much it changed. And that's when he became the Willie that we all, you know, that everyone in the world knows and loves today is when he grew out the hair, started telling the truth about the weed, put the hat on and stuff. So, you know, just, I guess just your opinion on this, do you think that he was being insincere to himself in the early days? That's a really good question. I I have no idea, but I can speak from a personal, uh, I can speak from experience. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm, I love early Willie Nelson. I mean, I like all of Willie Nelson, but um, from personal, like in my personal life, I, you know, I've, I've been a professional musician since I was 14 and I released my first record when I was 18. Now, when you're 18, <laughs> you don't really know who you are yet as much as you want to believe that you do. Um, I loved country music and it's a country album and it's nothing I'm ashamed of. You know, it's out of print. Um, and I, I made four or five records between that age and the age of, you know, 35 that were like, fine. They were fine, um, but at a certain point, I kind of hit this wall, and I went, you know, to hell with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just make something from my heart completely. And I was scared that it would sell ten copies, you know. Um, and it was that record, Prairie Love Letter, which is, um, I would say, when I was making it, I was convinced there's nothing commercial about this at all. It's a it's a record that's kind of an ode to my culture where I'm from, which is that um, Great Plains culture. People um, people descended from Norwegian immigrants in the Upper Midwest. Always comes back to Norway. Yeah, yeah, it does. But I mean, those those are that's why it was so. You know, most people can't point to Norway on a map or you know the the part of the country where I'm from. Um, it's a flyover area. And I was very vulnerable in writing about it because I was homesick and I I kept coming back to this idea of being homesick. And I thought, you know, people in other parts of the country aren't going to understand this. They're not going to care about it. And it ended up being the singular best artistic thing I had done for my career to that date because people accepted it and they it resonated with them. And I got all these wonderful things written about it and all these letters from people saying, this song could be about me. This could be about my grandparents. And I realized I had tapped into this. Okay. You, you just put it out there who you are. It ironically, yeah. if you put who you are out there for people, people will, it'll resonate with them and they'll come to you and you'll have a mutual sort of, uh, artistic loyalty with people. Yeah. It's like you tapped into the next level of the ether almost of like, of just, you you re, you encountered such an honest and organic version of yourself that when you when you shared it with people that they connected to it on a deeper level. I mean that's art. That's the definition of art, you know, and the effect it's supposed to have on people. Uh, that album too wasn't it right in the heart of COVID? Yeah, I put it out in twenty. That was another scary thing like because June or something. Right? Uh, or, when I put it out, I was thinking, you know, there was some kind of traumatizing thing happening every single day in the news. And I was like, is this a good idea? Or is this even going to hit people right? Because it felt almost self-indulgent to even share something that wasn't, you know, COVID related or whatever with people. Or Tiger King. related. <laughs> the Tiger King. What would we have done without that? Yeah. But Your album was, was the musical equivalent of the Tiger King. Yeah, I know. That's what I've been telling people. <laughs> But it funny enough, like it hit and people were like, oh, we need we needed actually we needed something to listen to. Yeah. And and I just was really thrilled and humbled by all of the comments and feedback I received. I, I think, too, just the uh, the the sound of of that album and the you know, like you said, that homesick, that feeling of um, there's something very nostalgic about that album, you know, and I think that that was probably a feeling an audible sensation that people were seeking in a time of 
such unprecedented uncertainty. Um, especially, I think it's the first track, Don't You Know I'm From Here, um, on that album, right? Yeah. Yeah, good memory. Is I remember the when you came out with that, and it was at a time where I had I had moved. I'd lived in Indianapolis for like four years, and I, I'd passed the point of living there so long where it was like it had become my home then, and going back home to where I was from was getting less and less and less, and just kind of that sensation of going back there and and feeling like people don't remember you quite the way that you were, and they don't know that you're a part of that territory. And so I, I think anybody that moves away from where they grew up and and starts a life somewhere else and then and travels back home experiences the exact sensation that you describe in that song. It's definitely a very emotional, powerful song. Thanks. Well, I think also, you know, and I wasn't thinking about this probably when I wrote that, but, you know, being a musician, you know this, the more you're in it and the more absorbed in the lifestyle you become, um, you have to be careful to not become kind of isolated from the rest of the world. Uh, because I know for me, I feel the most at ease around other musicians and it's because I have the most in common with them in, in a lifestyle sense. Um, if I sit down next to somebody on an airplane and they want to talk about the music business, I generally have a panic attack because I just, to, to me, that's, I appreciate the questions. I know someone's just genuinely curious, but I, 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 I sort of close up a little bit um, because it can be exhausting and it can be hard to explain to people. And the, the longer you're in it, the deeper down the tunnel you are, uh, the more valuable those people you've known your entire life become to you. You know, someone I've known since I was six, priceless. That person is priceless. Do you go back home often? I try to at least go home a couple times a year. My whole family lives there. Um, you know, it's especially nice to go home in the summer. This kind of a metaphor, I think I, it's it's more broad than this, but there's an artist named Hannah Dasher who uses it in a song. But it's like if if you if you cut off if you cut off the roots, the tree is going to die. And I think, especially with those of us that value our upbringings and our, our communities and families that you've got to water that part of your soul a little bit. It's important to maintain those relationships. It's important to, it's important to maintain respect for people that have invested in you since day one. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I try to never forget who those people have been because there were a lot of times when it, <laughs> it didn't look like it was going to pay off, you know, for any of us, uh, but you made me think of that, you know, my favorite song, which is that Tom T. Hall song, Homecoming. Mm -hmm. You know that one? No, on the podcast I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he, he goes home to see his dad and it's, a, it's the one side of a conversation. And mm. um, you're hearing underneath uh, the sort of superficial conversation he's having with his dad that he is missing a lot of life. You know, he's pursuing this thing. He's in a different club every night. He's, he's making headway. You know, he's becoming a little famous, but, um, he's, he's missed like his mother's funeral. He's missing. Um, he didn't know his dad had a phone, you know, and I ball when I hear that. I've never, I don't think heard that song go by that. I heard it and didn't get a little kind of lump in my throat because he's, he's just done such a good job of, um, painting this. Um, oh my gosh. Like I sure I'm glad I'm a musician, but dang, I missed Easter. You know, I missed, I missed like kids growing up back home and old people passing away. Like I've missed a lot of that. I hate that. Yeah. Sorry. I had to pause for a sec. Um, because yeah, it definitely got me just you describing that song. I, I will probably never listen to it, um, <laughs> but yeah, when you choose this life, and not just this life, there are. But anytime, anytime you leave home to break the the break the norm and pursue something that's really, you know, important to you, I feel like there are a lot of people in my life. They're like, you don't call as much as you do, and and of course you know this. It's talked about 
planning in your new album, but when you're honky tonking, when you're when you're woodshedding, when you're when you're really on the path, like trying to get something, you do there. You do have to sacrifice a lot in your social sphere, and it's not that you don't care and that you don't love these people. Um, it's just you you got to fight. You, you're you're fighting for something, you know. And and I have friends that I've known, like those six year old people that love their nine to five desk jobs. And they are very happy to know that they have 401k and where their livelihood is going to be coming from. But some of us are just squirmers got to get out there yeah, and explore the world and have these experiences and shut down countless honky tonks and, you know, get kicked out. And, yeah. Go to a new place every day. I yeah. mean, that's the travel of it. Don't let the old man in. Don't let the old man. And that's why you meet old musicians who are like 15. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody like, uh, I always think about Bill Kirchin. You know who he is? I do not. He's a, he's a guitar player in Austin. He's a wonderful artist, songwriter, but he, he uh, probably is most famous for being the guitar player for Commander Cody. So that famous uh, guitar part on Hot Rod Lincoln, that's Bill Kirchin. Well, he's thank one, you, Bill. Yeah, um, he's one of the most youthful people I know, um, and that's probably by design. It might just be his personality, but you know, for me, it's a it's a fine line. I think we age ourselves and we stay young, kind of in the same stroke. Yeah, Willie too is a perfect perfect example of that. I was just telling her the other day that he uh, originally wrote "Crazy." as stupid i heard that yeah. too stupid what do you stupid think for me i think it would have been as big of a hit um stupid i think there's just something about the consonant of the I'm hearts stupid for feeling so lonely stupid. yeah <laughs> i'm stupid for being stupid it is kind oh. of a stupid sounding word <laughs> it is i think i think crazy i just think I, i'm a big uh I, I love Shakespeare. I love the way consonants work together. Yeah. That iambic pentameter, just the way words can da 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 da. And I think all the great writers are like that. But I just think that just something about the C and the R right there on crazy is just totally sells. Man, you said iambic pentameter, and it made me think of the very end of crazy because that it's a perfect example. It is, it. isn't it? And also, I don't know if you know any musical uh, theater. Um, at all? Uh, you're exposing me, but I'm afraid so. Really? That, I mean, I was in theater in high school. Yeah. I was a musical theater um, major in college. You probably know more than I do, but I was in Godspell, Greece. Yeah. Um, my goodness, what else was I in? Wizard of Oz. So er, earlier today, you texted me and asked if you were going to be performing any songs. And I said, no, we'll probably just chat. But after learning about your Wizard of Oz performance, oh, what one like of the most wonderful, you know, some of the most wonderful songs ever written in history were in that. Oh, I was hammered like a couple months ago. Uh, she drove home after the gig, <laughs> and I am sitting with my guitar at the table. I'm like, cry, <laughs> like tears welling in my eyes, reading the lyrics to "If I Only Had a Heart." Oh my oh. god, it's got me again. But they're so well written. Yeah, but hey, um, a somewhere on my Instagram page is me doing um if I only had a brain. Really? With a tenor guitar. Yeah, I think those cuz they're the same song mm-hmm. essentially with for I see you getting characters. emotional and I love this. I can't listen to like Dean Dillon sing his own songs. Um <laughs> I can't I'd much up throw the George Strait on, I'm fine. But But if it's Dean Dillon, it's just something else. Like uh, when he's singing Miami it is so sad, but hopeful. Anyway, but yeah, but that the the sentiment of that. Um, if I only had a heart, um, that you're getting me right now, just talking. If about you know that. the lyrics, I mean, if you if you if you appreciate poetry, if you appreciate the human condition and in, in the form of language and music, I mean, this stuff will sneak up out the bushes on you. You know the the brain like version. a new Morgan Wallen song, the, just sneak up out the exactly. bushes, exactly, and then you're dead. <laughs> But the 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 piece of that one, the if I only had a brain, I can't recall the heart one. I mean, I I know it's the same melody, and I don't know all the words. But in the brain one, he says at the very end, um, oh gosh, how does it go? I'd deserve you, 
and be even worthier of you. Yeah. If I only had a brain, like, like this is this is this a song about mm. feeling inferior because you're not in touch with something intellectually that you wish you were? I mean, am I overthinking that as a person in 2023? Because to me, that really, I'd even be worthy of you, like. Mm. <laughs> deserve you yes. worthy of you <laughs> that kills kind of like what is that fred astera you say either i say either you know that song mm-hmm. um let's call the whole let's, thing let's let's call the whole yeah, thing yeah, off. Yeah. oh if we ever part um oh yeah oh the reason i brought up musical theater though is because steven sondheim um is one of my biggest influences musically i learned more about music and note structure and but lyric structure because he's a master. He, so he did like the lyrics to West Side Story. He did all of the music and lyrics to Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, if you're familiar with any yeah. of those. And um, and many of those like deserve you, worthy of you things. Made up words. Yeah, where just like using language as, as an art form. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's, I really just thought, um, and man, we're kind of deep in like writer's brain here, but just how the importance of, consonants and vowels in sentence structure well and that that meaning meaning Mm -hmm. trumps rhyme in my opinion absolutely like if you that this is like a a thing i like to talk to young writers about because a lot of times people when they're sort of starting out they get really attached to oh i rhymed orange with the door hinge yeah 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 (laughs) but it's like but but your meaning is lost you know so like write your meaning first and then make it rhyme right you know, and, and somebody like Roger Miller might have gone, well, I can't make it rhyme, so I'm just going to make up a word, which I think is, you know, in his case, a lot of times just in, incredible. Roger can do as he pleases. <laughs> right. Love uh, him. Love him. Yeah, so you've got an album out. This is a long time ago for you, I think, a little bit, but uh, Brennan Lee sings Lefty Frizzell, the songs of Lefty Frizzell. Um, and anyone that does a full tribute album to one artist clearly has a very strong connection with them, so... I'm I'm a fan of um, his songs that I know you know through Haggard and through the covers and stuff. But you're you're deep in the Lefty Frizzell um, world. So what kind of a, effect would you say his his music and songs had on had on you? Man, the first thing that tr- attracted me to to Lefty was his singing because he created a singing style. Um, and what I heard the first country singer, right? Or he's, he's crooner or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Known for making the, like almost, I guess the country accent almost. I heard that he would get bored with a note and he would change it. Like, you know, something like, um, I want to be with you always. He'd go, ah, you know, I lose my blues. (laughs) Honey, when I'm with you, I mean, just, I don't just had, just had a, mastery of his throat mm-hmm. and um was so tender and emotional you know he had like a he had a, a tenderness in his singing and um you know the 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 record that I made it's songs he wrote but also songs he covered so it was really kind of a tribute to lefty as a singer um but what an intelligent singer you know what a nuanced uh just I could listen to him I could listen to him all day image creator too it's well i say it's cliche to bring up but there's nothing cliche about a great song but i you know one of my very favorites of all time is that's the way love goes sure and it's just that opening line i've been throwing horseshoes over my left shoulder you know i've spent most all of my life searching for that four leaf clover and immediately you're presented with so much imagery and i mean your songs and are are packed with visual imagery yeah i like to I like pictures. I like to show rather than tell, you know, yeah. show people. Um, Cause like my favorite books do that, you know, some of your favorite movies, there's hardly any dialogue. It's just something like a movie, like Castaway. you know, that mm-hmm. one just came into my mind. Um, it's all scenery. Um, and I think the human brain kind of grabs onto that. And, oh, okay. There's this kind of flower was blooming and this kind of moonlight was coming through and it. Uh, that's just appealing to me. As a writer. Are you a classic film fan? I like a lot of old, uh, oh, like a lot of old stuff. Yeah. Like you go as far back in Hollywood as you do. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's funny. I had a, I had a conversation about this, uh, just last night. Uh, and yeah, some of that stuff is, it's not as palatable to the, to the watcher at first. Cause we're, we're used to all these pyrotechnics in movies and all this, Michael Bay, (laughs) all this, uh, you know, uh, 
computer graphics and I don't know what you call it now. CGI. CGI. CGI yeah. yeah. Um, you have a lot of that now. Um, but it's like listening to Jimmy Rogers. You know, they didn't, they didn't have access to all of the technology in those days. So it had to be about the story. It had to be about the characters and the acting. Um, I think my favorite, I don't know. I love, um, you probably love this movie. You're like old Westerns. Uh, I do. The, the man who shot Liberty Valance is one of my favorite movies. Yes. It's one of the best ever. It's one of the best. Wait, ever. didn't you post about that? Like probably you did something. You're like answering a bunch of questions. And I think I was like, that's the best movie ever. Well, first of all, it's a great movie. James Stewart. He's like, great. He's the man. That's the movie that made me like John Wayne. Yeah. And I wasn't actually like really into John Wayne. And then I saw him in that and I got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I get why people like John Wayne. I thought that as a kid, I remember my dad and, and my grandpa just saying that, you know, John Wayne was the most badass dude ever. And I remember thinking like, you know, uh, that, you know, dude to dude, you know, that he, I was like, he's not that pretty to look at, you know, I don't, he was know. as a, as a youngster, he yeah. was pretty, pretty fine. Yeah. He's a uh, no Robert Redford. Um, but, uh, are you a Hitchcock fan? Yes. Um, I don't, I have watched the movies, some of the movies, but am I, as a little kid, my favorite show, this is why I'm such a weirdo probably now was Alfred Hitchcock presents mm. and the twilight zone. Yeah. They're awesome. There's always some weird moral dilemma makes you kind of sick to your stomach. Just the, everything <laughs> about the twilight, all the Rod Serling twilight zone stuff is there's such an, uh, a feeling of ear like eeriness. I think it's the first ever Twilight Zone episode where the guy's like walking around. And it's it's where'd everybody go? You ever see? Uh, it, does he get to? He's just. I think he wakes up in bed or something, and he's walking around town, and no one is. Does is he break his glasses? There. I, I just know that the punchline at the end is that he's in. This is so crazy too. I think it's like sixty one, uh, maybe late fifties, uh, but he. Uh, he's actually in an isolation chamber and, and they had, they're like running tests on him or no, well, he's going crazy cause he's in an isol isolation and, and chamber. He's in like a, like a Truman show situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, Super dark. Yeah. And eerie. I, I love those. So yeah, I, I love the old films. I just think um, there was a certain like level of creativity that people had access to um, mid century, whether it was musically or with film or whatever that, um, was kind of exceptional. I think, I think that's why so many of us revere the artists back then. I, I truly think they were just better because they didn't have iPhones. I mean, you look at your screen time and I, 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 I like, I'm not sure if you're, um, an Eagles fan. Um, but I, I think about those guys and their harmonies and watching their documentary and talking about like, literally all they did was, uh, eat, sleep, shit, make love, and then play music. That's it. That's I mean, all they, how did they fund their lifestyle? Was that after they became famous? I, yeah, I think that's usually, I think usually the party and comes in later with, with the money and with uh, the money. Well, I think it's just cause it's so unnatural to be famous. Like as a human being, if you think it's about unnatural. it as a creature, you know, like you're not supposed to be known by everybody in the world. And I think once you get that famous, you get, Garth Brooks, who doesn't know how to, he can entertain 80,000 people, but doesn't know how to speak like a human being to a person. <laughs> I think I'm already getting there. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, it, it can, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's in a weird way. It's like everyone in the world knowing who you are is the most isolating thing that can happen to you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near that level, but I definitely feel sensitive and like, I'm I'm more aware of my introversion and like my desire to be a real human and just grow tomatoes than I've ever been like, okay, I, I'm just hiding today, you know, because you're in this like vacuum of hyper stimulation all the time mm -hmm. when you're, when you're us. Um, so you just wanna, us, just us, and no one else, else. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood and, and, Clint and you want to step out of it, you know, mm -hmm. step out of it. And, you know, I like to go to the grocery store and, make get stuff to make a pie yeah. and make a dang pie because that's like me reaching around for something that's kind of uh basic yeah and i have friends that aren't that way they're just like yeah fame fame you know they're fine with it i like to still feel like the same person i was when i was you know 12 
Yeah, I there's something so comforting in that. I I um you said pie and I started thinking about my nana. Um, mm-hmm. who makes the best damn apple pie anyone's ever had. No oh, one's nanas is better. That sounds so good. Um, God, it's good. Unfortunately, she's no longer physically equipped to cook. So Do you have a recipe? We got the recipe. You're going to make uh, her pie forever. We got an iMessage. We're going to upload it to the worldwide forum. Um, but uh, I remember the last time I was at her house, and she's got this huge, you know, the family's on a, quite a bit of land, and I remembered experiencing the most powerful sentiment of God, I miss mowing the yard. And that's where I would, people are going to think we're crazy, but I relate to that. I think that child, like that you said, feeling like you were when you were 12. I think that that sensation of, of like how exciting and infatuating the world is and everything that you encounter in your youth. And I think, you know, we spend our whole lives trying to get back to that. Yeah. I, I just try to get energy where I can. And, you know, fortunately for me, I feel like my, audience is often just full of bright, you know, thoughtful, intelligent people that want to have a genuine connection. So if I'm at a show, I can meet somebody who I can meet multiple somebodies who are on the same kind of spiritual page and kind of, kind of looking for the same thing. And that, that gives me energy. What about when you encounter people that, that aren't that way? On the plane, you say. On the plane. I was like, did you, I mean, did you have somebody recognize you on the plane? And, uh, and, or was it a thing where they're like, oh, you got a guitar. You must be a musician. Oh, 90% of the time, it's, it's uh, yeah. You're, um, most people are wonderful. I'll preface this by saying that. Most people are genuinely wonderful. Every now and then you run into that person who's like, you going to play a song for us today? And my, my stock response to that is always, are you going to do my taxes? Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it, they're just being funny mm-hmm. and I'm happy to talk about it. Um, and those people are lovely, but it's, it's, um, even talking to wonderful human beings for hours on end is, can be taxing just cause we all have our limit. So I want to give, you know, <laughs> I'm a giver. I want to talk. I want to hang out, but I also, I will wear myself out. How do you, how do you decompress when you, um, I know me, like I did right now I'm doing Thursday through Sunday, five shows a week on Broadway. That's a lot. And, uh, if Brennan Lee wasn't coming on the podcast, I'd still be in bed. You'd still be in bed. Well, good for you because I might too. I, I actually was laying down before I came here. Yeah. So I made some salsa today, got a big tomato garden going. Yeah, you're all about that. You would keep bringing up those tomatoes. I know. It seems like that's the new passion in your life is the. Well, to be honest, I haven't had a garden in like five or six years. And so finally able was able to put one in this year. And yeah, that has been like a really big, good healing thing for me. So just like, you know, farmy stuff, farmy stuff, reading books, hanging with my dog, swimming you know, just like hanging, being being a normal person. I've always wanted to ask you this, uh, as you are such a uh, beacon of light in the world of Western swing and classic country music, but I do know that you're human too. So Brennan Lee, what are your guilty pleasures in music that you that you oh. are, are ashamed of? Do you got like a little, uh, you know, an sync poster on your wall nobody knows about? Or I wouldn't, see, I wouldn't classify anything that I like as a guilty pleasure because I think whatever you like is just what you like. There's nothing that I'm really embarrassed that I like, but I mean, okay. So maybe something unpredictable. Oh my goodness. Let me think about that for a second. Um, maybe unpredictable, but I think the last pop record I bought, this is embarrassing because it was a long, long time ago. No guilt. But was Amy Winehouse's record. Really? Uh, Back to Black. Because it's a great record. Yeah. I mean, there's two kinds of music. There's good music and bad music. And that's just an incredible record. I listen to that a ton. You ever bopped your way through a hip-hop song in the van on a long drive? No. I don't I don't ever listen to it. I mean, if my friend put it on, I might enjoy it. But I'm, um, I'm pretty... I pretty much listen to country music. You like to keep to the code. But that said, there's there's some days when like I, I have a thing for Sam Cooke and I'll just listen to Sam Cooke or um, I'll just listen to Diana Ross and the Supremes. There's mm. certain moods that I, like where I can only listen to those things. There's also 
you know, there's this Irish singer from the 1930s named John McCormick that I really like. So I have some little off the wall weird things. I, I can get down to some opera sometimes. What about what about more in the mainstream? Like, do you get down with a little Fleetwood Mac? You know, I don't. It doesn't offend me. Uh, I like them fine. <laughs> I, I, I think no. And this is a, this is a funny thing because that stuff was so omnipresent growing up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, here's one that I can. I, I love Credence. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's there there's one for you. Mm-hmm. I mean that stuff. There it was just there was so much of it, and it was so ground into us by like our dad's generation that t- to me it just doesn't like there's no novelty for me to like put the Eagles on or put on. Right. You know, it d- doesn't really. People are mixed about the Eagles, but I think you got to at least appreciate it. They're like, they were the best harmonizers. And I like them. I'm just not going to be like, oh, I really need to hear the Eagles someday. Mm -hmm. I like the early Beatles stuff. Um, I love Buddy Holly. I like old rock and roll. You look like you'd like, you'd be like, my favorite Beatles album is Rubber Soul. Um, See, I I don't even. uh, That's the one that's got In My Life on it, but it's mostly like acoustic folky. I like the really, really early stuff. I want to hold your hand. She loves you. Twist that, and shout. To me, that's the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When they were that like baby. just playing like happy rock and roll, you know? And the, I'd say Diana Ross is is the is the farthest we got. Is it? You I know, think. I'm sure there's something farther out. Because I'll hear some pop music and go, well, that's cool. I, I, but I'm not going to buy the record. I'm just not that into it. I want to like you to you'd be like, you know, the most closeted Justin Timberlake fan mm, or something. No. So mainstream that you don't even want. I mean, you hear Britney Spears and you're like, you're like tapping your foot a little bit. I mean, the the stuff of that stuff is kind of irresistible, but again, it's just not like enough for me to buy the record. Yeah. Um, I get real mentally turned on by like the Delmore brothers. Like to to me, that's like the hippest music you can. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, but it's, it's just so accessible. Um, the, the pop stuff you were Mm -hmm. referring to. Um, it's so accessible, you know, you hear outcast and you're like, yeah, that's cool. But to me, it's not like I'm going to go, I got, I, there's so much country music. There's so much American roots music that you couldn't possibly chew through all of it in your entire life. So that's just the path I've always been on. And I don't know. Okay. And last rapid fire favorite highway man. Oh, favorite highway man. Hmm. By volume of how much of his music I've listened to, I'm going to say Johnny Cash. Really? I am stunned. I almost said Christofferson. I would have thought it would have been the other three before. You would have? I really would have with you. Um, Cash for me is the least uh, artistically intriguing. Him Uh. as a person, I think is incredibly intriguing, but I just mean, he wasn't as much of a um, singer or picker as the other guys. And that's why, uh, of course, Haggard's not a highway man, but I think Haggard's the best to ever do it ever. All things considered because he did a little pick and a little yeah. song. Like Christofferson was in the highway men, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. He was. So Haggard, Christofferson, Johnny Cash. No, Haggard Waylon. wasn't is Willie, Johnny, Waylon. Okay. Okay. So that's, and that's, they asked Hag and he said, uh, he's y- like, y'all enjoy your I'm, little boys group. Yeah. You enjoy know? the tree house. Yeah. No, I mean, Johnny Cash to me, he, you know, I think what attracts me to him, he. So you have a crush on him? No, actually. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel that way about any, I don't really feel that way about any dead country stars except for maybe Webb Pierce. Really? What a babe. Mm. Webb Pierce and um, my friends would say Roy Acuff, but that's kind of a joke that I don't really have a crush on Roy Acuff. Um. Maybe Lefty Frizzell. Yeah. Kind of a babe. But no cash. What attracts me to his music is the versatility. Like, look at all the theme records he did. You it, mean like the American? He did like whole albums about, um, um, you know, the he did a lot of Western theme stuff, like the, right. cow, the cowboy. What He did spoken word did stuff. Did a lot of Marty Robbins songs. I and, love the gospel stuff yeah. that he did. I mean, he, when you can hear God in his voice. Indeed. I just, for me is always like, uh, you know, I, I've, so I've always kind of latched onto singers that, that had a little bit more movement. I guess I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, he's a great singer, Johnny Cash. You know, I wouldn't say he's a great singer. 
I think he was a great interpreter of songs with a just a million dollar voice. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the voice that God gave him was extraordinary. He wasn't an agile singer like Lefty right. Frizzell or like um, Dolly Parton mm-hmm. or like you said, Merle. But uh, I don't know. There's just there's something spiritual about his music. I really respond to. Uh, I don't know. He, you you believe the characters that he he was, and you believe the story. Story like "Give My Love to Rose." <laughs> well, there, there's there's the uh, they they also they worship Cash overseas. Like he's the most famous country star of all time. It's like over the top. Yeah. And this is a pet peeve of mine. People pay more attention to the persona and the like the the machismo mm. factor of a certain artist than they do to like the heart of the artist. And you know, that picture of him flipping off the camera. Right. I don't think that represents who he was as an artist, but people love that because it's so outlaw and it's so rock and roll and um Yeah, kind of like the hot topic posters of Johnny Cash. Hot topic Johnny Cash. Yeah, hot topic or, uh-huh. you know, yeah, that's the kind of stuff you see. <laughs> so what's next for you, Brennan? What what you got coming up? Oh my goodness. Um got any shows you want to announce to our billions of listeners? Um in August I have a run out on the West. I shouldn't say West coast. Cause it's actually all over like Montana, Idaho, um, places like that with two of my dear friends, Melissa Carper and Kelly Willis. We have a trio kind of side project that we travel with. Um, the, the tomato garden girls. <laughs> that's what we should be called. We've never been able to come up with a name. We've never, we've thought about mm-hmm. all we've tried, but it's really Carper Lee Willis or some variation on that. And so we're doing a two week run out to Oregon and Washington state and it's all on my website. And then I've got a couple shows, um, late July, one in New York city. Um, and then two with old crow medicine show out in Vermont in New York state. And then I'm in Nashville for Americana fest. And, um, it's, I've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats on your new record. Good luck in the year ahead. And uh, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with me today. I, I, I really appreciated the chance to chat. Same and great job. I appreciate you with the thoughtful questions and, and it flew by. Ladies and gentlemen, what an honor it was. Brennan Lee, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Peyton Collier podcast. The bar should say things.